Brilliant. Okay, so some of you know me quite well. Some of you are getting to know me. And, uh, you know, I love pretty much anything that's inspirational. So, you know, I spend quite often, if I'm a bit bored, I love watching amazing sports people do extraordinary things, you know, um, gymnasts doing their thing. I'm like, wow, I could do that. <laughs> Footballers doing their thing. I'm like, yes, that is awesome. You know, what the human body can actually do. Rugby, runners, you know. I watched that documentary. Anyone seen this? I'm not advertising necessarily Netflix or any other platform. But, um, you know, that one where the guy climbs El Capitan. Anyone seen that? You know, the huge cliff face in uh, Yosemite in the States. He climbs it freestyle, no ropes. He does the whole thing. It is off the charts nuts. But I'm like, that's awesome. I could do that. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but, it, but there's something extraordinary and uh, aspirational about these, these amazing people that we watch and we see and we're exposed to. You know, there's, It's something aspirational but and invitational. When we watch and, and we see these people. Now, I'm no musician. I mean, there's a running joke in this church where I am trying to get on the worship team. They are protecting you, by the way. You know, I love music, but I'm not very good at it. Um, I, so I married a musician, which is very good. I have been exposed 22 years now to beautiful Victoria, singing her heart out, often on a regular basis in our house. I love it. I secretly sneak in while she's playing the piano and she doesn't know I'm there. It's a bit like some weird stalking moment towards on the piano and I'm like, you know. Anyway, so I, I married a musician. So I want to tell you about what happened one day. Um, in primary school, you know, I think I was about seven years old. And, I, and uh, we're all sitting there in, in primary, you know, and, and this guy comes in. He was an older gentleman, very distinguished chap, and he brought three cases with him. And he opened up the first case and he lifted out this beautiful violin. And he put it up to his chin. I think that's what you do. And he started to play this violin. Now, I've got to be honest, you know, uh, violin might not be the instrument of choice. But for those of you who are violinists, I respect. Anyway, he started to play. And I just remember, even as a seven-year-old, my eyes were like, whoa, this is incredible. And he began to build and get carried away, just as violinists do, don't they? It's hilarious. You see those violinists on stage, and one minute they're like this, and the next minute they're intense, and they're going for it. And I'm seven years old, and I'm just thinking, what this guy can do is absolutely extraordinary and as he came in to land he then put his violin down and he opened up these two little cases and he picked up these two little violins and he said class I have two spaces who would love to do what I've been doing and there was this moment of invitation to actually pick up this violin and begin to learn the violin and to become like this amazing distinguished older gentleman who could play this tune that gripped our hearts we are going 
to wrap up, excuse the pun, as we head towards Christmas, this, this series about the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. Because Jesus invites us to the most extraordinary, extraordinary possibility. And if you want, you can turn to Matthew chapter uh, 16. Jesus makes this statement. It's actually an invitation. It's just going to come up on the screen. Just 16 verses 24. He says this. If anyone wants to follow me, or, or in another translation it says, whoever wants to become a disciple or follow me. If anyone, whoever wants to, they can. Jesus is inviting um, the people in the crowd he was speaking to, to become like him. You see this word follow, come and follow me. In, in first century um, life, that word had huge connotations to it. It meant that when a rabbi, a teacher of the law, went into the villages and, and gathered the community and they gathered the young boys that had been learning the Torah and, and, and all the rest of it. When a rabbi stepped up and said to an individual, to a group of people and said, hey guys, come follow me. It was a loaded invitation and it was basically saying, come and be like me. Come and do what I do. Wow. Jesus, in this moment, is saying, whoever, anyone who wants to become like me, can. Rachel asked a question in the room earlier on. Why are we here? I've been asking a question. Why am I a follower of Jesus? What happened? What did I see in Jesus as a 17-year-old investigating Christianity? What is it about Jesus that has caused me to want to become like him and to become a follower? The same question, I'm sure, for those first disciples. You know, imagine, I want us to step into their lives just for a few moments. Let's put ourselves in their shoes. These men and women were living in oppression. They were living under Roman occupation. They were fed up. Can you imagine living for hundreds of years under occupied kind of existence? The parameters, the tensions, all of that kind of stuff. And the leaders of the nation were in a mess. That's no political statement right now, by the way. And suddenly, out of the blue, comes this young leader. And he's challenging the norms. He's speaking and teaching values that you've always believed in, you know, are there. But we're not really seeing out there amongst, in, in society or amongst the present leadership of the day. In this person of Jesus, we see the kind of person that we all secretly want to become. He represents the best of what it means to be human. Remember we sang earlier on, fully God and yet fully human. He's the best of us. He's the better of you and me. He is what we all hope to be like and yet never really achieve it. 
Jesus comes on the scene and he plays a tune that we want to all able to, to play, if you like. We know it's in us, but we never quite get there. Do you understand where we're going with this? Jesus comes on the scene and it's like, you know, he's everything in terms of character that I think all of us want to really be like. His humility, his kindness, and yet this unbelievable boldness and courage. You see, in the world, we see boldness and courage often, but comes with arrogance as well, doesn't it? But he's like this humble posture of serving others, and then the next minute, he's standing with unbelievable boldness, but working from a place of kindness, and standing in the face of hypocrisy, and all the other stuff, and challenging it, and he does it in a way that we wish we could be like that. Or is it just me? What inspires you about Jesus? I tell you, these are the things that inspire me. I love how he makes room everywhere he goes for the least, for those who are lowly, those that don't have a voice. Do you know one of the things that impacted me as I read through the Gospels as a 17-year-old is how Jesus treated women and children. How he creates a space where he allows them to come in and almost to touch his life and honors them and, 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 and gives them a place where the whole of society at that time didn't. That takes courage, doesn't it? It's countercultural, And that's what makes him attractive. He's like this righteous rebel. Listen, I don't know where you are in your journey. But the Jesus that I've got to know is, a, is, is quite rebellious in some ways. He is radical. And I'm a bloke. Now, I'm, this is not a sexist comment, okay? But I'm a bloke bloke. I mean, I like a bit of... Yeah? I mean, I love going to the gym. I love a good game of rugby or whatever. I lo- but you know what? As I read Jesus' story and I, and, I, and I start to get to know the Jesus of the Bible, I'm like, this guy is radical. He is like the bloke's bloke. You know, we've painted the picture of Jesus as this long-haired, kind of overly, kind of nice guy. He is super nice, but he also really knows what he's about. I'm inspired by that. It speaks to that inner, what it means to be a man. What it means to be a real man. A man that honors others and is kind and compassionate, but stands for what they, he believes in. He's a bloke. He's a real, real bloke. Not a pretend, fake it till you make it kind of guy. Are you with me? You're looking at me like, what's he on this morning? I love how he challenges the hypocrisy, seeks justice, stands up to the powers that be. Exposes those that manipulate. I love it how he deals with evil. Points at selfish ambition. And how he weeps for those who have got afflictions. And literally touches people and issues that everybody else avoids. This Jesus goes places where nobody else will go. He doesn't hide anything. I love that. This is the Jesus that I fell in love with. 
This is the Jesus that when he invited me, James, do you want to become like me? Everything inside of me at 17 went, yes, I want to be like that. Is it possible? Well, in the scriptures that we just read today, whoever wants can. I just think that's extraordinary. Jesus is actually saying to people, you can become like me. Not just in character either. Think about that. He's inviting those gathered around to become like him. Not only to, be, to live out those values, but to actually become those values that we really, really aspire to. We don't just put on the values, we actually become living humility, living kindness, living justice. We become like him. I want that. But I also want to experience this deep, inner, uh, beautiful connection with God. He's saying, you can become like me and have this unbelievable relationship. With the creator. I want that. Don't you want it? If you want it, you can. If you want it, you can. What about this? He, we can do what he does. He expelled evil wherever he went. He walked into situations where people were oppressed by all sorts of crazy stuff and darkness and pain and suffering and, and demonic stuff. And Jesus just spoke to that stuff and said, darkness, get out and go. And it responds. He said, you come and follow me. Come and be like me. And you'll have the power and the authority to do that. And same over sickness and illness and all this other stuff. Now, I know we're on a journey here at our church around this stuff. But that's why we want to create space to receive more of the power of God and to understand how he operates and works. And as we follow him, we become more and more like him and we grow in him. I don't know about you, but Jesus says, whoever wants to become like me, you can. Wow, that's a huge carrot, isn't it? Being dangled. Whoever wants to can. We learned just a few weeks ago that the kingdom of heaven isn't beyond our reach. It's been made available. It's accessible. It's here on earth now. Jesus has brought all of this with him. There has been a portal, a doorway smashed through. And that me and you can actually have a totally different, radical life. That I think if all of us were really honest with ourselves, deep in here, when we look at the Jesus story, we go, oh my gosh, I want that. And so he says, if you want it, you can have it. You can have it. The price has been paid. The opportunity has been put before all of humanity, whoever, anyone, whatever background, no matter how much you have or haven't done in life, that whoever and anyone encompasses everybody, every race, every tribe, every social strata, you name it, every age. He's saying, I've made a way 
whoever wants it can have it. Do we want it? Am I over-egging this? I think I am. I'm building it. You see, he says this. In the next phrase, he just simply says, but to follow, to become like me, there's a must. The way has been made, but there is a must. To begin to grow in that new possibility, there's a few imperatives, a few verbs that activate this new creation moment in each of our lives. And the first one is this. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves. If we want him, we've got to say no to me. If we want to become like him, there is some, thought, there is some me that's in the way. <laughs> no? And so, if we really want him, then we've got to deal with me. In fact, the language used here, when it uses this word deny, deny ourselves or deny themselves, a better word used is we've got to disown. We've got to disown. Disown me. Um, oh, I'm, I'm just trying to think how long ago it was. Oh, years ago, we bought a house in Newton Hill with the help of a very, very amazing and uh, uh, just a brilliant solicitor. And, uh, and anyway, so we've got this house, Chapel Road, hey, brilliant. We're in ministry, I'm living on Chapel Road, cool. It was like a sign from God. You know? <laughs> anyway, so 10 years, you know, we, we pour into this house, we do it up, you know. Uh, it, yeah, anyway, we loved it, but we started to outgrow it. And then Tor and I were like, I think we're going to need to sell it and, and maybe buy something else bigger. And, and again, with the help of this amazing solicitor, he helps us do that. But here's the deal. When you've, how many of us have bought and sold property? Quite a few people, right? So here's the thing. You sell your house. You know, I remember signing the documents and taking the keys of the house that I loved and handing them over to the solicitor. Can you imagine, six months later, I just rock up at that house and I haven't given the key away and I let myself in the front door. I have a look around. I think, oh, I don't really like what they've done with the place. I'll just redecorate that wall, make myself a lovely cup of tea, make a sandwich, sit down on a sofa and uh, just maybe watch their TV. That would be pretty weird, wouldn't it? I have no right to be there. Why? Because I have disowned, I no longer own that part of my life, that thing. I don't own that house any longer. I have no right to be sitting in that person's front room. How weird it would be when they come home from work. Hello, hi, I'm here. I'd get arrested. It would be criminal, wouldn't it? But you know what we do? We invite Jesus into our lives and we still want to own our pasts. When actually, when we ask Jesus into our lives and we say, yes, I want to become like you, Jesus. I want to follow you. We try and hold on to the keys. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You must disown this life now. I own you. You're handing over the reins of your life to him. We go back and we sit on the sofa of a previous life. And Jesus is saying, no, to be like me, you've got to give up some me. Yeah, I've got
got to give up this because he's got something way, way better. Remember, the kindness, the humility, the character of Christ, the very reason why you want to become like him. We need to allow that to speak louder than the old life. And so you've got to deny yourself. And denial, or to deny, means to withhold. Now, Victoria and I have this gift. I don't think it's from God, but it is a gift. It is a gift of death. <laughs> that woke you up, didn't it? Do you know what? We often get plants. We often get given living plants. We have a gift of neglect. Thank goodness we haven't done this with our children. But anyway, so often they give, people give us these plants and we're like, oh, it's a lovely cactus. It's a lovely yucca plant. You know, they're, they're, they're tough ones, actually. But, but we've dealt with a few of them. You know, and we put them on the side and we put them on the, you know, in the kitchen. And for a couple of days, we're good and we keep it watered. But, you know, the reality is we neglect the plant and it withers and it dies. Jesus is saying here, actually, there are some things in our lives we must neglect. We must withhold. We need to withhold from the light. And our pasts, he says, we no longer own. So let's not bring him into the light. Let's not give it time and energy. Let's not fuel the past. Let's neglect it. Let's not think about it. Let it die off. Why? Because we have a much, much better future in him. Who wants to become like him? I do. So I don't know about you, but certainly for me, I've been thinking about it. I think there are areas in my life that I don't always neglect. I've allowed to hang out here. And occasionally I put some water on it. And I'm like, why am I doing that? Because actually I want to be like him. And that is not going to help. Holy Spirit, we need you in these moments, don't we? And so he says, you must. You must. It's like, let me put it this way. It's like the doorway to the possibility of, of this entire new existence and life is like it hangs on three hinges. The first is deny ourselves, deny themselves. The second hinge, if you like, is this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. And the second thing is this, take up. Take up your cross. Pick up your cross, or it says that their cross. Now, we must, this is, these are imperatives, aren't they? There's, there's no avoiding this. We must take up the cross. Now, here's a really interesting thing. And I know that there are some scholars in the room. We interpret this line in the light of the resurrection. So the language that Jesus uses here is interpreted slightly differently by the disciples post-death and resurrection. Because the word for cross in, in, in the original language is actually the word stake. Not like, you know, stake. No, okay? <laughs> You're like looking at me like, what? No, no, no. The original kind of language is really interesting. It says, pull up your stake. It's kind of saying, pull up your stake and follow me. He said, you see, Bedouins use these big rods and they would 
put up their tents and bash those stakes into the ground to bring security to the tent in which they live. Jesus is saying to the, his disciples, listen, if you're going to follow me, you need to loosen your grip on earth and pull up your roots and your thinking and, and all of that because it's so worldly. You need to pull it out of the dirt and get ready to follow me. Isn't that interesting? And following me then becomes, listen, the reality is there will be some suffering along the, along the way. The language here picks, you know, I don't know about you guys, but it makes me think of the Israelites again in the desert. They're, they stop when the cloud of pillar stops or the, cloud, or the pillar of fire stops. And what do they do? They pitch their tents. They bang in their, their stakes. They get secure for a day or two. And then the pillar moves again. Oh, I've got to rip up my stake. And uh, the amazing thing is this. Those stakes became often walking stakes. Oh. <laughs> I don't know how you read the Bible. I love this stuff. I'm like, I, have, I didn't know this. That we've got to loosen our grip on earth. Take up the staff or the stick or the stake and now walk and move. Now the context of this passage, for those of you who might have got your Bibles out and already started reading around it, is this. Jesus asked the question, who do you think I am? Peter, who's the, like the swat but can't control himself in the room, goes, I know who you are. You're, you're the Messiah, you're the one we've been waiting for. And Jesus is like, amen, you're the, you've got it right, Peter, for once. You got it right. And he's like, that's right, I am the one you've been waiting for. But in Peter's head, he doesn't really understand. He's got it right, but he doesn't know what kind of Messiah. And I think all of us would be in the same boat. The next thing is, Jesus then says, by the way, this Messiah is going to now head off to Jerusalem. In this part of Matthew, everything starts to move. And, and then from this point onwards, right the way through, he's now heading towards Jerusalem. He is heading where? To the cross. He knows he's heading towards suffering. So he begins to properly explain to the disciples, the Son of Man will be crucified. He is going to be killed. But on the third day, he will rise. Peter's response is this. Jesus, that cannot happen. How can you die and save us? It's just ridiculous. And Jesus' response is this. Peter, you do not have your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter, to follow me and to become like me, you have to loosen your grip on earthly thinking and on a worldly perspective. And a worldly perspective is this, that self-preservation costs. And that, that following me, you've got to not try and preserve your life. But actually, you're going to give your life because I'm going to give my life. And so suffering is very much part of this journey. It's part of the growing, the pruning, and the refining. But it also will become the very vehicle where God's power breaks in on humanity.
take up. We, if you're going to pull the stake out of the ground, you've got to grip it and you've got to make a decision, don't we, to pull it up and say, God, will you change how I think? And that my, change, my, my thinking would become way more godly and more eternal. And I think for us as a church, we're in that place. The issues of eternity have been very pressing for us recently. And we need to look up and say, God, will you change the way we think? And then finally, there's a third hinge, okay? Hang with me, we're going to wrap up now. There's a third hinge. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple or whoever wants to become like me must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Follow me. Come after me. Now, I don't know about you guys, but we are followers. We were built to follow. The question that Jesus is saying here is, who are you going to follow? Me. Because I think otherwise we will follow something. We will follow someone else. We'll follow a different philosophy. Something that ultimately probably serves us. Rather than others. And that's why Jesus goes after the deny me thing first. What he's saying is this is an issue now of rule. Who is going to rule and shape our lives? My dad, it's come to Christmas, isn't it? So you start to think about presents. I remember my dad, I must have been about, again, probably six years old. I mean, what dad does this? I mean, he took me to a toy shop and he basically said, son, you can have whatever you want. My kids aren't in the room. We ain't doing that. I mean, who knows what's going to get chosen, you know what I mean? But he said, that, you know, James, honestly, you can pretty much have anything you want. So what do you want? So I'm looking in this toy shop. I'm running around the place. And there I see it. There it is in the box. Evil Knievel. Remember that? Some of us. That, that stunt rider back in, the, back in the 70s and 80s. I think he made it into the 80s. And there he was. And he, would, he was known, wasn't he, for like jumping like, I don't know, 20 double-deckers on a Harley or whatever. I mean, it was crazy. I think he broke every bone in his body. But there he was, on the box, on the side of the box, Evil Knievel, flying through the air, going over the trucks and all the rest of it. I'm like, Dad, I want the wind-up Evil Knievel. And I'm like, yes, I've got it. It promises... It, he can fly. I believed it. Got him out the box. I mean, some of you may remember this. Some of you might even have had one of these. But I got him out the box. There he is on his motorbike. And you wound him up like this. And then you hit a button and he came flying out of this gate. And then you had a little ramp. And he would go off the ramp. And what would he do? He would fly through the air. So I wound him up. In full anticipation hit the button, and he barely made it to the ramp. <laughs> I was absolutely gutted. You see, the marketing of the world really hasn't changed, has it? It promises a whole load of stuff, but often, often under-delivers. Jesus doesn't under-deliver. Okay, he really, really doesn't. 
let's be honest, sometimes we don't fully understand, but he doesn't fail us. His promises are good and true. Jesus is inviting us into a life of trust and a life of surrender. And actually he's saying here, follow me. He's saying, Let, if you want to become like me, I follow my father and I do what he does. And I'm obedient to the father's voice. So when Jesus then, let's back up a little to Matthew chapter 11. Jesus uh, says this. He says, come to me all who are weary and burdened. It's a good invite, isn't it? Again, all. Whoever is feeling tired, whoever needs some peace, whoever is feeling burdened and heavy, come and I will give you rest. There's a promise in there. Then there's an imperative, a movement moment. Take, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle, humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, to all of us guys you've done it your way you've done it your way and you've done your best but the reality is you're tired and you're burdened and you're actually guilty and you're living now with shame and now come to me all of you whoever wants a different kind of life you can come whoever wants to can the invite is fully open take my yoke what he's saying there is take my life, my teaching, and put it on. Apply it. That's what I've been doing. I've been applying what the Father has said to me. And as I do it, I have become an incredible, attractive life. And that's why you want to follow me. Because all of the values, all of my life is speaking to you and saying you can become like me. And the reason being is because I'm being obedient and employing my father's teaching in my life. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He says, just do what I'm doing. Employ my teaching now in your life. And the net result is you will become like me. The very reason You followed me in the first place. The very reason that you felt that pull of your heart. I want the peace that Jesus has. I want the kindness that he exudes. I want the power and the authority that he is showing. I want the rest. You see this? Are you with me? And so Jesus calls us to follow. That means him. I don't know about you guys, but when I follow me again, (laughs) which is rubbish... Because I always end up getting myself in a right old tizwiz and also end up with probably more guilt and shame again in my life. You see, following me is rubbish. And then I have to come to him and go, I am weary and heavily burdened again, Jesus. I'm sorry. And then I feel his rest and his peace. And so for some of us, these three hinges are like, it's like, do you want to become like me? Everything in us says, yes, then we must. We must then deny the me. And let's land this thing really quickly. So the rest of this passage says, it goes on and, and Jesus says this. So for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? 
for their eternity? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Jesus presents two life routes for all of us. He presents a life of self-preservation that ends in losing all that you hope to have held on to or a life of self-sacrifice that gives, that unconditionally loves, is willing to give up energy, finance and time to serve others, to be a blessing to others. For them, there is a, pro- that pr- there is a promise of life and ultimately results in a life that receives A life that gives and a life that receives. So, what do we want? Whoever wants can have. You can have either. It's the must that we can't avoid. (laughs) It's the must we've got to grapple with. It's a decision that we all must make and I just want to say this I don't know where we're at in our walks some of us have made decisions to follow Jesus and we may need to just rethink these three hinges and think actually are these happening in my life because actually passivity is a decision it is a decision it's a dangerous decision but it is a decision I want to become like him so I must choose So, why don't we stand?